0: the last few weeks we've been looking at the Apostles' Creed, uh, a hand-drawn map that helps us navigate our faith. And in a bit, we're going to be reading from Acts chapter 1, so I'm going to encourage you to open to there now and keep your finger in it. If you have the brown Bible, it's on page 1055. If you have the blue study Bible, it's on 1647. So you can just open up to that now and keep your finger there for when we get to it. Please pray with me. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. The proof that one truly believes is in action. That's a quote from Bayard, Rustin who was the right-hand man of Martin Luther King Jr. during the Civil Rights Movement and I think it's helpful today as we look at the next portion of the Apostles Creed because when the creed was originally developed by the early church there was a much different understanding of the words creed and believe than how we generally understand them today we often think of believing as meaning this is something I think is true and I agree with Or, here are these statements, and I think they're right. So when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, by our typical English understanding, we're saying, yes, I think it's true that there's a God, and I think that God made heaven and earth. Well, good. Good for us. But even the demons believe that, and they shudder. So maybe there's more to it than just agreeing with a set of statements. The word creed comes from the Latin credo, which means literally I believe. So this creed could be called the the apostles I believe. But believe carries with it also a much more broad meaning uh, because in Latin and also in Greek, it means to trust in to rely on, so it becomes a little bit more risky than just thinking about something as accurate. Because it also means that it is what we rely on. This is what we entrust ourselves to. And even beyond that, the pre-Webster believe means to commit. The idea is attaching yourself to something. So believe means attaching yourself to the thing that you believe in. And surely the early Christians who clung to this creed and to the gospel entrusted themselves to it. Imagine how they may have thought of this statement. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Surely it's beyond an affirmation that you think something is true. For them, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ meant attach yourself, commit yourself to the Lord Jesus Christ. So by that definition, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, God's only son, our Lord, means I entrust myself to the Father. I attach myself to Jesus. I stake my life on God. So, let's take a look at today's phrase from the creed and see if it applies with the full meaning of believe and credo. Today's phrase is, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. Now, the Apostles' Creed contains only a handful of affirmations out of the entire scope of Scripture, 12 to be exact, and the developers of the creed thought that it was important to include ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of God the Father in those 12 affirmations. So I asked myself and my friends on the AM worship team, why are these things so significant? And several things surfaced from that discussion, like Jesus ascending allows him to go and prepare a place for us. Having a place at the right of someone important indicates that person is honored and powerful and carries out what the ruler wants done. So Jesus as the right-hand man so to speak. Jesus sitting down represents that the work of deliverance is completed once and for all and being in the presence of the Father represents Jesus as positioned to sympathetically advocate and intercede for us having experienced what it's like to be human. Jesus being seated represents being seated as a judge and an authority And who would we rather have responsible for judging us than the one who just went to all lengths to save us? All of these are very significant, and they're each worthy of a sermon, but the thing that really stood out to me the most this time around comes from the Ascension account in the book of Acts. Hear the word of the Lord from Acts chapter 1, starting at verse 1. In my former book, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the father has set by his own authority this same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I think what we're looking at here is a change of paradigm, a fundamental shift in how God is relating to humankind. Here's what I mean. The ascension marks the end of God relating to humanity as one single human being on earth. That single person was confined to a 75-mile radius in the Middle East and traveled on foot. Jesus has been carrying on God's mission as one person. As he stated it himself in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind to set free those who are oppressed. So, all this time, Jesus has been bringing good news to the poor, releasing the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, and setting the oppressed free. All that changes with the ascension, because with the ascension, Jesus transfers that mission to the disciples. There's only one of him, but there are several of them soon to be thousands, and eventually millions. And they will take the mission to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. Jesus is one person confined by his human body to a single place in time. He can see, talk to, comfort, touch, heal, just so many people in one day, in three and a half years. But, When Jesus, in his human body, ascends to the Father, the mission is transferred to a body of humans who can all see, talk to, comfort, touch, heal, so many people in one day. A body of humans that will expand and grow, enabling more and more people to experience the healing and saving touch of Jesus. No longer confined to a small geographical area in the Mediterranean region, but now to the ends of the earth because the proof that one truly believes is in action. And Jesus has been preparing his people for just this during all of his years with them on earth. Jesus has trained them day in and day out. He modeled. He told stories. He explained. He sent them out on internships and brought them back again together to process. In between, born of the Virgin Mary and suffered under Pontius Pilate, Jesus conducts this very intentional but very natural process of, watch me so that you know how to do this when I'm gone. At the ascension, he commissions them. You shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Now the mission can explode, and we are part of that expanding mission because through them it becomes our mission as well. That mission, touching people with the healing and saving touch of God, becomes our life, our singular purpose. If we entrust ourselves to Jesus, believe on Jesus. If we attach ourselves to God, believe in God. The word witnesses in verse 8 is from the Greek word which becomes in English the word martyr. And of course a martyr is someone who gives their life for a cause. So Jesus is asking them and us to give our lives to the, ca- the cause that he already gave his life up for. Remember Paul's words, present your bodies as a living sacrifice? Now, this could seem a little overwhelming like a huge project. The project of being Jesus to the ends of the earth. That project in our hands now, requiring our lives. Well, it probably felt overwhelming to those who were gathered at the Ascension, too. So it's crucial to see that Jesus doesn't leave them to do this mission on their own. Look at verse 8 again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. They will not be on their own with just their own little human selves. Rather, the Spirit will whisper instructions to them. The Spirit will remind them of the things that Jesus said and did. And And the Spirit will help them understand what it means. The Spirit will give them power to heal and do miracles, give them words to speak and courage to speak them. The Spirit will empower them. If you're familiar with the book of Acts, you know that the disciples were completely different people after God sends the Spirit on them at Pentecost. They go out with courage and authority and turn their small part of the world upside down. The people respond and follow Jesus by the thousands. That's the Holy Spirit. So, here's the picture. Jesus, God incarnate in one human being, ascends to heaven and sits on the right hand of God the Father Almighty with all authority restored to him, in control of everything, and the Spirit is dispersed among the disciples so that they can carry, so that we can carry out the mission of Jesus, bringing good news to the poor, releasing the captives, recovering the sight of the blind, and setting the oppressed free. And they, after receiving the mission from Jesus and the disciples passing it on to those that they came in contact, it now is passed on to us. So that we can carry on the mission of Jesus. We do it with the power of the Holy Spirit, who whispers instructions, who empowers us to heal, who gives us words to speak and the courage to speak them. The Spirit will empower us. So I'm going to invite us to a time of response, and this is how it's going to work. We're going to sing a song of response, and then the music will continue, and you'll have a little space of time to reflect. I want to invite you to listen to that spirit that whispers. Listen to that spirit and ask yourself this. Is this something, is this someone that I want to entrust my life to? Is this someone, is this something that I want to attach myself to? Is this something that I want to stake my life on? Then I want you to listen beyond that for What do you sense that God is nudging you towards in this mission? What might be your part in the mission that has been flung out to us? It could be some vague impression that you have. It could be something really specific. Whatever it is that you sense the Spirit is saying to you is part of your mission in the world. When you have an idea of what that is, I want to invite you to get a puzzle piece and a pen and write that idea in one or two words on that puzzle piece. Then, if you wish, you can keep that piece in your billfold or in your purse or in your backpack. And when you see it, here's the challenge. Pay attention to how the Holy Spirit is working that out in your life. After a little while of meditation and um, reflection and getting the pieces and writing on them, we're going to stand together and we're going to say the Apostles' Creed. But this time, if you choose to say it, I want to challenge you to say it with the broader meaning of I believe. So the meaning of I attach myself to, I stake my life on this. You don't have to say it if you don't want to. But if you do say it with that thought in mind, with that understanding of I believe, I stake my life on, Because the proof that one truly believes is in action. Let's pray. Blessed are you, Lord God, creator of the universe. Everything came into being by your word. And you have chosen to include us in what you are doing in this world. Lord, may we hear now your Holy Spirit as you whisper to us about whether this is something we can stake our lives on and what part of that mission you're entrusting to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.